Cafe, where three pals talk about food, pop culture, and other nonsense. I'm Tracy. I'm Stacy. And I'm Natalie. So, this week, I wanted to talk about first loves. And like... Isn't that an Utada Hikaru song? Is it? What is that? No, there is a song by a Japanese-American singer called Hikaru Utada. And I think her breakout song was indeed called First Love. This is back in the late 90s. So was that one of your first loves, Stacey? Was that like one of the first love songs or the first female pop stars that you connected with? Well, the first CD I ever owned was Beauty and the Beast. And I was six, seven years old. The first CD that I ever bought for myself was Aqua. Because I really like the song Barbie Girl. (laughs) A respectable choice. (laughs) Thank you. What about you, Tracy? My first CD that I owned was a Spice Girls single, which I'm pretty sure was just... So it was Wannabe on the front, and on the back it was the Spice Girls just rambling about nothing. And it was great. It was my favorite CD. Until about a couple months later when I got a Hanson CD, and my life was pretty sweet. (gasps) I think that is like the ultimate 90s compilation of CDs right there. Right. And speaking of first loves, that Hanson CD had a pretty big impact on my life just because I had never really liked a band before and I had never really liked a boy before. But then there was Taylor Hanson with his long flowing golden hair. He did have beautiful hair. He should have been (laughs) in a shampoo commercial. Yeah. And really all the Hansons did, but like maybe he was like the correct age. I don't know what it was. But yeah, that was like my formative boy band, like probably a little bit before I got into even Backstreet Boys. I liked Hanson. Tracy, are you say that, saying that you would have bopped Taylor Hanson? I don't think I knew what that meant at the time, and I probably still don't. <laughs> I don't either. I thought bop was like frolicking in the sunshine with your pals and some kittens. So yeah, I would bop with Taylor Hanson. <laughs> I had a Britney Spears mixtape that one of the neighbors um, made for me. And we would listen to the cassette in the car, but I don't actually remember what my first CD was. I think it was either Mulan or Celine Dion, a decade of song. Ah. Speaking of Celine Dion and Disney songs, she also sang the pop version of Beauty and the Beast. Really? Wow, I don't remember that. Yeah, tell us all this time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you had the amazing Angela Lansbury singing the movie version, and then the credits start rolling, and then it's Celine Dion singing the same song, but Ah. in the Celine Dion way. It's possible I didn't know who she was when I first saw that movie. I think when I saw Titanic is when Celine Dion came into my world as a person who existed, and then retroactively I figured out all of her earlier music. That is exactly what happened to me. Speaking of Titanic and the culture phenomenon it was at the time, How do you guys feel about Leonardo DiCaprio? Or how did you guys feel at the time about about him? I remember every girl in my class was obsessed with him. And I was like, oh, oh, this is what we're doing. Okay, yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. And I had like stickers on my notebooks and all that. But I don't think I was actually into him. Like, I think I was acting like it because I thought that's how you were cool. Uh, I do remember all my classmates... I was going to an all-girls school at the time, so I literally mean, like, all my classmates. Yeah. <laughs> at least all my white classmates were super into Leonardo DiCaprio. All my Asian classmates, we were like, ah, 
he's a real person. But Tuxedo Mask, on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be quite a few years before I met Tuxedo Mask, but I was definitely in the boat of animated characters over real people any day. but yeah this topic of first loves i was thinking about it because i was watching uh lindsay ellis's latest video essay on the hobbit where she kind of talks about how lord of the rings was one of her first movie loves and it just made me remember out of nowhere that the hobbit was the first fantasy novel i ever read oh like i only read like Babysitter's Club and Sweet Valley and that kind of thing. And then out of nowhere, I'm like, what is this? With like the little guy with the sword on the cover. That looks stupid. I'm going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's that's actually how I started on Dragonlance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a curiosity thing or like this is clearly a big genre in the world. I should dabble and find out what's up with it. But I just remember being so astounded by every aspect of The Hobbit because when you think about like, everything in it like the dwarves the elves the wizards like it's all pretty textbook from our perspective now but if you had never read it before it's like oh my goodness the world opening up to you man if we're talking about our first exposure into fantasy literature mine was wild magic by tamora pierce yeah and i was just kind of like all these magical creatures like there's dragons and there's griffins and then there's this weird uh, well, not weird. It's like her version of a harpy. Right. <laughs> Most talking to animals, which what kid doesn't love that? Oh, yeah. And talking to horses and riding <laughs> horses and being friends with horses. Did you guys ever read any Sherwood Smith books? Mm, tell me the no. name of them. Uh, Court du- Duel, Crown Duel, yeah. Ren to the Rescue. I read all of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I was deeply obsessed with Crown Duel, Court Duel, which are, like, they're two books, but I got the big book that had both of them in in it. And, like, there are so many problems with those books. Oh, really? But you have this emotional connection, and I can never reread them, because it will just make more obvious the flaws of the book yeah i don't remember much about those books except that they had like fans that they talked with like you know secret fan codes or something yeah which was cool and then they also had like heartwood trees and um like magical creatures like peep like fairy elf people and basically it's like this spunky girl and her brother have to like fight off some evil lord because you know they can't pay their taxes and he's like (laughs) bleeding them dry and she basically gets put out of action pretty quickly but like you know and so she has to be transported to the capital by this guy you know the guy (laughs) and she hates him 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 and then they fall in love and they get married of course they do. I don't remember liking that dude very much, but I don't know. I was into these books. They, I feel like a lot of the books at that time were sort of drawn from this same cloth that maybe was created by Tamora Pierce, but then it went on and it's just like, 
I too have a spunky lady who's got to like navigate the world that men built. And then also you meet a man and that's good. So <laughs> <laughs> that is literally the premise of Song of the Lioness. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. But she doesn't she doesn't get her first love. No, but she was never going to get her first love. She's she's not going to be happy being a queen. No, I don't no. think so. Although Dane does get her first love, but I still have issues with that. I have <laughs> that so many issues creepy. with that. Yeah. Exactly. And also it came out of like left field. No, I it was kind of set up because like he is the person that she spends the most time with. But you're kind of like, but he's her teacher. Of course they spend time together. Oh my god. Like, ugh. And then he kept like a locket of her and her hair like around his neck. Yeah, weird. Uh, around his wrist. Around his wrist. Okay, around his wrist, which is like creepy. Not creepy, any better. <laughs> creeper. With that, I remember, like, up until the moment where they first, like, kissed or whatever, I was like, but surely not. Surely that means something else. I can't be reading this correctly. Yeah, like, they just had, a, like, a life and death situation. They're just going to be like, oh, wait, that was weird. Let's let's forget this ever happened. That's what I thought was going to happen. Isn't there, like, a scene where he has to, like, bandage her and, you know, she has to, like, bare her, bare her breasts to him? And then, like, she nuzzles, like, the the hair on his chest. I mean, I know she's 16. She's super hormonal. She's probably like, ooh, sex at this point. <laughs> but it's just kind of like, it's also really hilarious because at first she's like, oh, we're just making out. We're probably going to have sex or something. That's great. And then she finds out that he's, like, really in love with her. And then that's when she freaks out. But honestly, at that age, I would not have been, like, Oh, only sex. I was like, no, they're the same. You're falling in love with each other. But isn't he like, he's like in his early 30s? Like technically she could like be his kid. She was 13 when they met. And how old was he? Was he already 30? Like late 20s. No, he was like late 20s. I don't really know why I know their ages so well. I think he was like 27. Whatever age they said he was, I interpreted that as an old man. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was like, he's our teacher. Imagine like you're in middle school and your teacher's like, man, I, I'm so in love with you. Tamora Pierce was also my first fandom back in the days when fandom was wholesome. Like I remember <laughs> going on to AOL and AOL had forums for everything. And it was all like, you know, it was people role playing. But this was back in a section of the internet where role-playing was like we all are also students at the night school <laughs> <laughs> it was not the kind of role-playing that the kids are into these days it was just like yeah Ooh. i have a character who's like alana but with a different name and i also have a talking squirrel and <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are also purple but i have black hair yeah black hair that's it so there was like 20 of us <laughs> we were all just little Mary Sue's going on adventures together with like a pack of like 20 boyfriends on the side <laughs> <laughs> this just makes me think of that scene in Inside Out where Joy gets all of um, the girls imaginary boyfriends to help her out right yeah. exactly it was exactly like that <laughs> but yeah this was like a formative creative experience for me because like the idea that somebody else made something but you can kind of take it and do something else with it 
was kind of unique to me at that time. And so I remember that being one of the reasons why I like this world in particular so much, because it was one that I kind of, I played in. I learned to write. I learned how to mm-hmm. be creative and make friends and stuff. And I think shortly after that, I got into like Harry Potter. And once again, it was all 20 of my friends and me in the wizard school this time. <laughs> <laughs> Man. I think for me, it was Sailor Moon. It's like you go online and you're just kind of like, I'm Sailor. Whatever planet that's also out there in the universe, it's not part of our solar system. I did not do that. No fandoms? No, I did do fandoms. Um, I I wrote fan fiction and my brain was different in that like I was really into uh Weasley's Wizard Wheezes and then so I wrote <laughs> a story about, you know, me as a wizard and I had a magic pet shop that used all the animals and but it was also like I had like weird crossovers with like the Weasley brothers but it wasn't romantic. I just wanted all the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so fun. In eighth grade, I submitted Gundam Wing fan fiction for my writing assignment, and my English teacher loved it. He read it out loud to the whole class. Now, did he know this was fan fiction? No, <laughs> he didn't. It was like a short story. It was really short. And I took out all mentions of gun. Like the story in itself didn't have any mention of Gundams or anything. It was just kind of, it was just Hiro and Relina. And so <laughs> unless you already knew that those were the names of two characters in Gundam Wing, there was no way that you would have known it was fan fiction. <laughs> oh, by the way, Gundam Wing was my first true fandom. Like my first true fandom. I feel like that's still your true fandom. Oh, it is. It is. It is. <laughs> I think I've heard you talk more about Gundam Wing than any other singular fandom I can think of. I am so upset that Andy won't watch the series with me. He, like, starts making fun of it as soon as we even watch one episode. Because he's like, oh my god, she's crying because Hero tore up her invitation. And I'm just like, she's 15 <laughs> years old, okay? And this is a big deal. For sure. <laughs> So there was a time where I was like obsessed with this fan fiction series where it was like Gundam Wing, but like Jane Austen. Like an alternate universe. So like in the Jane Austen verse of Gundams, what are the Gundams? Is it just There are no Gundams. It's like, you know, like the marriage plot. And they're like parties and stuff. And then everyone speaks like you know, this this writer's attempt at Britain. Maybe she was British. But um, I remember writing to her and she had, like, researched it extensively. So she told me that, like, people in this period didn't wear belts. And what they did was they had, like, two buttons up the side. So it's like a flap that you hmm. can open and do your business. But oh, yeah. they were, like, really into – and then it was, like – People were wearing, like, Muslim dresses and, like, who is um, Trace's, like, cousin, like, Dorothy or whatever? Yes, Dorothy Catalina. Yeah, so she is, like, trying to crash the party and then, but she, like, 
she and Catra, Quatra have a thing, and then, like, Relina and Hero, they have kind of, like, you know, he's kind of like a, who's the guy in Jane Eyre? Rochester? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, like, Rochester, but she's, like, rich and hot, so it's not like Jane Eyre. <laughs> but it's just, like, you know, like, they really liked going to have dinner and then dancing afterwards and then like getting into carriages and gossiping about each other and then like of course someone gets stuck in the rain and they almost die this is like if you condense all the jane austen books into one book and then populate it with gundam characters and i need you to find the link to this fan fiction because i totally want to read it I really enjoyed that aspect of fanfiction. It was like, okay, we've got all these characters who we like to see them having certain types of adventures, and then let's just remove all that and have them do character drama together in whatever situation <laughs> we find most appealing, which Jane Austen seems ripe for that. But I also like yeah. high school AUs. I used to read, like, we all work at a coffee shop AUs. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... I did make a Gundam site when I first watched Gundam Wing. It was like my first attempt at a website was so I could make a site about Gundam Wing. And that's how I know. I had to go and collect all this information. Yeah, I I remember reading about their blood types and stuff. <laughs> also, I don't know. I was obsessed with um, Cardcaptor Sakura, and that was my first website. And I also read... Sakura and like Shaoran Lee fanfiction. Oh yeah. As well. <laughs> no, what I find hilarious is that Clamp itself comes up with um Sakura and Shaolong fanfiction. Because that's what the entire series Tsubasa is. Yeah, that's right. I like that series. I read it. <laughs> right. It just shows you that fanfiction can become a successful business model. My first website was an Animorphs website. So it's pretty much in the same vein as what you described. I was like, here's all the character bios. Here's a list of all the books. <laughs> What's Wikipedia? <laughs> but then I also had links to, I didn't, I didn't host fan fiction on my website, but I listed all the good fan fiction websites that you could find. And yep. I remember this was back in the day where like one of the links would disappear and I was like, oh my God. This is awful. This is the worst thing that could have happened. A treasure trove has disappeared. And now I know you can just go on Wayback Machine and it's all still there, including my fan site, which maybe I'll oh link God. that if you want to see what that looks like. But I think all the picture links are dead. So you won't get to see all those gifts that I made of like flashing Animorph faces. Wow. It's on some level I cannot connect with a person who's never written fan fiction or like participated in fan fiction. Exactly. Because I just, I don't know what we have in common. <laughs> no, but there's something like so earnest about fan fiction, especially or earnest from like a young, a tweens, a preteens perspective, where it's just like I love this, I want to be part of it, and I don't know, it was just such admiration. It's so pure. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I will never have that again. That chapter has closed. Yeah. Like, even what we would now define as, like, a Mary Sue and kind of, like, stick our nose up at if it appeared in, like, a novel that we bought at a store. Like, the idea of, like, a, a little 12-year-old writing a Mary Sue character for the first time is, like, it just warms my heart. Yeah. So, like, 
now, like, if any of us ever went back to fan fiction, I don't think we could help but kind of be aware of how satirical it is. But, like, <laughs> when I was, like, 13, I was, like, total fan. Like, it didn't – yeah, it was not a satire at all. It yeah. was just worship. Which, there's a good book about this. I don't know if you guys have read Fangirl um, by Rainbow Roll. But the great thing about this book is first she wrote a book called Fangirl, which is basically, it's about a girl who's like, what, she's like the big name writer in her fandom, which is like a thinly veiled Harry Potter knockoff. (laughs) But then like, I don't know, it became not so knockoff. And like the thing that she was writing ended up being kind of cool. And then she wrote the fan fiction and she published that. (laughs) And the book that she wrote is so good. It was one of my favorite books of that year. It's called Carry On. And it's like, okay, imagine Harry Potter, but first of all, it's Harry and Draco for sure. <laughs> and secondly, it's got like a really cool magic system that like doesn't need to be in slash fanfiction. <laughs> and like kind of a, an awesome plot. And so I would recommend both of these books. The first one, because it's just like a great send up of like what it felt like to be a fan at that age. Uh-huh. And the second one is like the purest, best fan fiction in novel form. <laughs> <laughs> so my first, I think, character that I liked was um, Chef 2 and Mara, Daughter of the Nile. I guess I never read that. What's that? I've never read it. So it is about this um, slave girl who gets embroiled in like a royal succession plot. So basically she is a double agent. She is a spy and then she gets oh. recruited to um be the Babylonian translator for this princess that is supposed to marry the captive prince and so she gets bought for this role and then her master is like if you do this for me and spy on this like this pretender I will set you free. And somehow, you know, because this is a novel, she manages to meet, like, his best friend, who also recruits her to spy, but, like, but to be, like, a go-between between, um, the prince and, like, his best friend, Chef Tu, and because they think that there's another spy in his court but you know she's the spy so she tries to play both sides except you know she falls madly in love with chef too because he is so brave and strong and smart and clever and not (laughs) handsome he's actually ugly which was interesting but he's so charming that the ladies don't realize this so basically like rochester but less rude yeah and then there's like a tomb breaking in scene and Oh, it's Hapshepset in that mouse. Hmm. Oh, well. What you're describing to me sounds like, have you guys heard of this um, series of, it's fantasy series. I forgot what it's called. Oh, it's called Kushio's Dart. Oh, mm-mm. That was weird. Too sexy. Well, what you're describing sounds a bit like that crossed over with Aida. Yeah, and you have mentioned your love of Aida. Well, yes. this is... This is a pure book from my childhood. Please do not <laughs> sully it with Kushiel's start. Chef 2 was my first, you know, major crush. I found him in the fourth grade. Aw. 
And he like stayed with me for, you know, several years. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. So I also read Crucio's like... Dart. <laughs> I think we all have, all three of us. <laughs> I wrote a book, historical fiction, called The Lady and the Unicorn. We passed it around and giggled over it a lot. It's like this girl who turns out that, you know, she's the illegitimate daughter of the, the man who owns her. And then she's also disgraced because she almost had sex with the king of England. And everybody thought that they actually did have sex, but she actually didn't. And then she was like, like sold to this other noble who wanted to use her connection with the king of England to like gain information. And then like, so they get married and then they actually have sex. And he's like, oh my God, you actually were a virgin. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is very problematic. You know, like, consent reasons and everything. Yeah. But I just realized, thinking about it, my first fictional crush, contrary to what people think, was not Tuxedo Mask. Like, I totally wanted him and Usagi to, like, and Sailor Moon to, like, hook it up, but I never really actually wanted to hook up with him. It was just more of a, oh, so this is what, like, the anime idea of, like, a perfect boyfriend is. Although, in hindsight, he's a terrible boyfriend. Like, the worst. <laughs> I guess. I kind of don't remember him doing anything bad. But, uh, I just, he didn't do anything yeah. bad. He just never did anything good either. And he was constantly getting brainwashed and having to be rescued. Uh, he stood on a roof and threw roses all the time. But yeah, he was actually terrible to her, you know, in his civilian persona. And they hated each other until they found out that, you know, they were like... But anyways... I just wanted to say that my real actual anime crush, my first ever anime crush was when I was 13 years old. Yes, I was 13 years old, and the anime in question was Sorceress Stabber Orphan. What is this? It is an anime about a wandering or traveling magician whose name is Orphan, because he is an orphan, and he is searching for a way to turn his adopted sister back into human she turned herself into a monster using the sword of bart andrews so he's searching for the sword so that he can use it to turn her back and along the way he picks up an apprentice and a girl who just won't leave him alone because she is technically the owner of the sword now so she's like i'm gonna follow you around until you give me back my sword oh so she's not a stalker no, she's not a stalker. But she does think he's a peeping Tom in the first episode of the anime series because she thinks he's peeping on her sister changing when really he was just spying on their house trying to figure out how to steal the sword. Classic anime nonsense. Did you ever watch <laughs> Tenchi Muyo? Yeah, I did. So I watched the Toonami version where there is no nudity because the women are always wearing swimsuits. So I didn't understand why they got so upset all the time. <laughs> I am sad to admit that I too watched the Toonami version of Tenshi Muyo. It's actually a really popular genre in Japanese anime. Like, this one loser guy lives in a house full of beautiful women who are all in love with him for some reason. Well, they might have loved him, but they beat the crap out of him, too. Oh, yeah, they were all tsundere. That's the tsundere girlfriend. The Miss Piggy kind of girlfriend. Speaking of Tenji Muyo, though, I have, like, a specific memory of watching that show one time, and, like, my mom was passing through the room, and just having the strongest sensation of, huh, huh, don't look, don't look, I don't know what's happening, but don't look. <laughs> I've definitely felt that, too. <laughs> 
Like, they're not doing anything sexual, but you also understand that your parents would strongly disapprove of you watching this. Man, I'm just suddenly filled with all these memories of Tsunami, 5pm. Yeah. And then there was also the Midnight Run. And I would always stay up late to catch the Midnight Run of Gundam Wing, because that's when they would show the uncensored version. Which means the version with blood. Oh. But I do remember, like, when Toonami was, like, when I started Toonami, when I was watching Toonami, there was a strong mecha theme to it. Because I was, like, I was watching Outlaw Star, I was watching mm. Gundam Wing, and I was watching Big O. Which is, by the way, another anime that I like that Andy will not stop making fun of. <laughs> I am not familiar with Big O. It's actually a really good um, anime, which is kind of, it has a really strong noir vibe. And yeah, it's like Batman Gundam. Yes. It is very much like if Batman and Gundam are the two words I would use to describe this. Um, but Andy won't stop giggling every time I try to watch Big O because the name of his robot is Megadeuce. Which made a lot of sense at the time. <laughs> uh. Yes. <laughs> uh, did you guys have any recommendations for this week? I think we mentioned them all on the show. Basically, watch every anime series and read every book that we mentioned this episode. <laughs> That's a lot of work. Well, I was going to recommend reading Eloise Jarvis McGraw. Jarvis? Jarvis. Not sure. Um, so she read, she wrote Mara, Daughter of the Nile. She also wrote Calico Captive, which makes hot chocolate sound like the best thing ever. Is there, like, a captivity-slash-slavery theme that runs through all her books? If this book is called Calico Captive. So it's about, like, this um, this family that is in colonial America who gets captured by Indians and then sold to the French. And then they have to, like, try to get ransomed back. And it, it, it so it takes place, I think, in Quebec or Montreal or something. And it's, like, basically, you know, Protestant, English, young, pure lady, uh, decadent French people, and very handsome French man. Uh, and also, what was... There's, like, one more about changelings, that which, which was also good. Which also kind of has, like, a slavery captive theme, now that you mention it. <laughs> I think it's called The More Child. The More Child. I guess my my forever recommendation, even when I don't say so, is to just go and watch Gundam Wing. It's not the best Gundam series, but it's my favorite. I'm going to start putting a tally below the episode of just time <laughs> has put Gundam Wing as her recommendation. <laughs> um, so I sort of have a dual recommendation. One is, like, I would like to reiterate that if you do not currently have the Overdrive or a Libby app on your phone, you should get it because that's how you get free books in your life all the time. And even if you don't have a library card, I bet you know somebody who has a library card and never uses it. You should get it from them. But I've been reading a lot of books on there. And the series that I like recently is uh, uh, the first book is called Every Heart a Doorway, which I think is Shane and McGuire is the name of the writer. And sort of the premise of this series is like, imagine if all the people who ever wandered into a fantasy world in literature all kind of came back and were messed up and had to go to a boarding school together to kind of like 
figure out how to go on with their lives or like if they wanted to try to get back to that world or whatever. And there's now three books in this series that are kind of each about like a different type of like a different type of world and a different type of person who goes there or comes back. And it's just like a real nice, thoughtful series. And it's like if you like stuff like The Magicians where it sort of takes these tropes and spins them around a little bit, then I think you would like these. Right. I was just saying it. the premise of this book really reminds me of the whole premise of The Magicians. Right. Which they mostly are more heartwarming. They did do one book that was specifically about the villain of one of the other books. So that one is a little more like how they got to be villainous. But the others mm. are like, you know, they got better. They recovered. So it's mm-hmm. nice. I like it. So, thanks for listening to Midnight Breakfast Cafe. To get the latest episode, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter at NBC Podcast. You can find links to the things we mentioned this episode at midnightbreakfast.wordpress.com. And if you're enjoying this show, please link and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners find us. Happy breakfast and brunch, everyone! <laughs> <laughs>